Welcome to The Lumber Word, where industry veterans Matt Beamer, Greg Riley, and Ashley Buckold dissect the world of commodity lumber each week. We bring you up-to-date insights on supply, demand, and market trends, sharing our trading expertise to benefit everyone in the supply chain. Join us for informative and entertaining discussions that guarantee to make you wiser about all things lumber. Hey everyone, welcome to The Lumber Word for February 21st, 2024. Apologize for missing last week. We do our best to put the show out every every week. Sometimes we fail, but we'll work in the future to stay uh, stay on target and get it out once a week. Here, I had a- actually it was a great opportunity to uh, you know like you know find out those those four or five people that really missed us. <laughs> well, it was great. So you know, Macram from Montreal sent me or called me yesterday. I thought he wanted to sell me lumber, but he called me to tell me that he understands we have a podcast because. His daughter helped him find something else on cryptocurrency. And while they were looking for it, they typed in lumber and our name came up and he was excited and he was wondering how long we had a podcast out for. So anybody listening to this, you can hear our podcast on Spotify, Apple, iTunes, iHeartRadio, YouTube. I know it's a little, a little advanced for some people, but in the industry of how to sign up for a podcast, Matt's laughing because he has kids, but. All you have to do is find whatever venue you like, Spotify, Apple, the other 35 venues I've never heard of, and just like us, like the lumber word on there. And then every week when we do a podcast, it will come up in your feed automatically and you can listen to us on the ride home or walking the dog, whatever you want to do. Hey, Ash, can I get, I want to give a shout out to, to uh, Rich Spallone of Greater Boston Transload. Oh, yeah. Uh, he, uh, I mean, he dropped, uh, he, you know, he dropped some, some, uh, a, a really nice gift. Uh, I'm gonna look forward to getting back there and, uh, and, and using it. But, you know, listen, you know, we use a lot of public uh, warehouses and port facilities, and they probably do one of the, one of the best jobs out there. So uh, shout out to Rich and his crew. And what's the name of their facility, Greg? Greater Boston Transload. Yeah, he's, he, uh, he set yeah, you up. Cool. I'm sorry. He set you up some great audio equipment over here. Your echo will be gone when we get that set up for mm-hmm. you. I'm going to jump right into introducing our guest. I was excited about this this week. Brian Westbury is a returning guest. I think he was on over a year ago with us. But I'm excited, one, because I follow a Brian at Westbury at W-E-S-B-U-R-Y on X or Twitter, if you still like calling it that known Brian for a long time. He's great friends with Greg, uh, chief economist at First Trust. Also has written two books, The New Era of Wealth, and It's Not As Bad As You Think. Uh, He was the chief economist in 1995 and 96 for the Joint Economic Committee for the U.S. Congress. USA Today has honored him as one of the top economic forecasters, and I believe the Wall Street Journal had Brian at one point number one U.S. economic forecaster. I like saying also Brian's an Eagle Scout. We uh, we share that. And on, on his X, you can see he also has a John Deere tractor. He makes regular <laughs> media appearances on some of the largest uh, media shows and is highly sought after event speaker on economics. Greg, you, are, on, you uh, sound like a big effing deal, B. Yeah. <laughs> but Greg, you, since you get, are really good friends with Brian also, I mean, I can't do enough justice introducing him. I'll let you take finish finish it up. 
Just don't talk about my golf game. <laughs> okay, Mr. 36. <laughs> uh, I think he shot nets. I think he shot net 61. Uh, <laughs> uh, great to have you, Brian. Yeah, um, thanks. I, you know, we got an audience that's uh, in the lumber business. You know, housing starts. Talk to me talk to me. Yeah. Um, well, January was ugly. And I know, you know, it's kind of interesting. Uh, macro, as a macro economist, we'd look at uh, weird, uh, geeky stuff. I'm sure you guys look at some of it, if it has to do with housing. But we, we there's things called like global warming uh, days and global cooling days that attempt to aggregate all the, the weather into kind of one number. And if you look at those numbers for January, it wasn't really that bad for the country as a whole. But we do know that some parts of the country got heavy precipitation, snow or rain, um, and the weather was pretty nasty. So a lot of people just dismissed the January numbers uh, for housing starts and permits, which were, by the way, the lowest since the worst of COVID. And I mean, those are that's pretty ugly, uh, those numbers. Uh, you add that together with retail sales, and which is tanked three out of the last four months, industrial production, which is down four months in a row. I, I hate to be negative. People used to call me a perma bull, um, but lately I've been negative on the economy. And I think you put all these numbers together um, and it suggests things are slowing down. And I know we'll get into that, um, but um, housing, obviously it's recovered from COVID. But January was a big hit. Do you have a, you, you, I mean, I know you guys do lots of forecasting. Do you have a forecast for the housing start number for this year? I mean, I'd put the number somewhere between 1.3 and 1.4. So we, we need one and a half million a year just to keep up with population. And we're not doing it. We haven't done it for a long time. So I think we're going to see numbers on the, the weaker side still. Uh, our our forecast for a recession this year isn't that ugly. It's only down about a half a percent for the year. Um, so it's nothing like 0809 or 99. Yeah, and that, let me just say that about housing. I, I think it's going to take a, a normal recession kind of hit this year, um, which keeps us kind of around January levels, basically. So it's going to be worse than it was last year. And uh, worse than we really need to keep up with population growth and, and demographics. But but having said that, this is this is not 08, not 09. House prices are not too high versus replacement costs. Rents are still going to keep going higher um, for the most part, economy wide. Yeah, housing's going to struggle, but this is not like the end of the world kind of struggle. It's it's going to be a normal, moderate recessionary year. So do you think that ends up meaning that we're going to have fewer housing starts overall than last year? Yes, I definitely do. Okay. And and the only the only way I think we kind of save that is we build smaller homes. And I um, I know you guys want to talk about that later on, um, but that's what's happening. We are building smaller homes. It looks like. You know, when you look at the price of new homes being sold, it's way down, like the, the median price. But that's because we're selling more smaller homes than than higher end homes and building more smaller homes than higher end homes. So 
you got to be careful with those starts numbers too, because it's less square footage than we're used to as well. One of the things that, you know, has been a kind of a, a recurring trend is with existing home inventory at, you know, an all time record low of like two months because folks are locked into two and three quarter or 3% mortgages that that's been a big help for the national home builders to keep their sales numbers up. Yep. Do you see anything that's going to change that or should we expect that to continue? I mean, tell me if, if anybody disagrees with me before I just go on, on down the road. <laughs> um, well, I mean, I'm sure you guys change. do, but, but what I mean about is just about this one thing that the number one reason the the existing home inventories are so low, existing home numbers are so low, is that people don't want to move because of those rates. And you, I mean, you just said it, but that's what I'm going to proceed from. The way I like to say it is I'm old enough to remember what an interest rate is supposed to be, all right? An interest rate is supposed to compensate the borrower, uh, the lender, for inflation. And if you're a borrower, you should at least pay inflation. And so if it's a treasury, it's inflation plus one. If it's a, a, a high credit score home buyer, it's inflation plus two. All right. If you're it's your cousin Vinny's best buddy and he's opening a bar or wants to buy a house, it's inflation plus don't do 90, it. Don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> don't do it. Don't do yeah. it. Don't do it. <laughs> exactly. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Let's see what Grok has to say about that. Just a second. <laughs> and 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 so you know, I, I have a I'm one of those two and five eighths percent thirty year mortgage. I, I couldn't believe that they gave, I mean, it, it was, I mean, I was, I feel bad for my bank, kinda. The, the, the point I'm getting to is, is that it all depends on rates, right? So when I look at inflation and there's 35 measures of inflation, there's the, I'm, I'm, we all know the CPI, the, the PPI and the PCE deflator, but there's the Cleveland median inflation and Atlanta Fed does it. Like there's all these different measures of inflation. And when I look out at the, all of them, I come up with inflation in the three, three and a half percent range. That's just where it is. Three and a half plus one is four and a half. And that's about where the 10 year is. That's, you know, if you take the Fed funds and the 10 year kind of average them, we're, we're about right. After 15 years of excessively low rates, we're now about right. And so we're not over high and we're not too low anymore. And so if these kinds of mortgage rates are keeping people out of the housing market, then it's going to continue because I don't see these rates coming down a lot as quickly as people think. Everybody thinks the Fed can just fix inflation without a recession. I don't believe that. I think. What do you think? I have a bet with a realtor friend of mine that that the Fed's not going to drop rates this year and he thinks they're going to drop them three times. And so we have an over under bet. Yep. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think you're probably on the right side of that. You're saying they're not going to cut them. Um, I think that more, they're stuck, that times. they have to fight inflation and people don't want to take that into account. We have 3.5% inflation. The Fed's not going to drop the funds rate until that's under control. That's my theory. That's my operating theory for 2024. And that's why I bet that way. I mean, it's a $5 yep. bet. It's more just like a, you know, chest yep. thumping bet. But uh I just was curious what you thought about the Fed's actions. I mean, I know that Wall Street's really big on 
on these Fed cuts back in November, December. They were talking about, yeah, they're going to drop rates in January, February. Well, that came to pass, and they they threw cold water on it. Then they said March, and then now I'm reading stories about June. I'm just thinking to myself, I don't think the Fed can do anything. I think their right. hands are tied. I'm I'm with you right now. The only thing that would that could change that is if we if, if we're right and we have a recession, then um, then they can react pretty quickly because the political pressure right. will will be through the roof, right? Especially in an election year. I mean, the the Democrats are already leaning on Fed to uh, to cut rates. So if a recession comes and unemployment starts to go up. And you could lose that bet if and I and so I we are predicting a recession, but I think you're right that the that Wall Street's overestimating the number of cuts this year. Hey Brian, one of the um, just looking on different social media polls people do when they're asking people when they're buying a home, are they uh, doing it based on thinking they're going to be comfortable with this rate for the duration of that mortgage? Or do they think they're doing it in anticipation of rates dropping quickly? And what concerns me a little bit is I think from what I see on some of these answers are people are jumping into rates with the feeling that they're getting advice from people like what Matt was talking about, of just get into a rate because it should, it should be lower next year. And people are like, I, I've heard some of the some of the best advice I've heard, and Greg's told this to me before. Is if you're getting in at a rate, you should be comfortable paying that for the duration of it. Right. <laughs> you know, otherwise, if you're trying to get tricky with it, is that what you're seeing uh, or hearing out there too from people that are giving advice on rates? Oh gosh, absolutely. The I mean the the realtors that's their pitch, right? Yeah. I mean, you you just be able to you'll be able to refi. This is only temporary. Part of that is is just it's it's I call it you know when rates pop as fast as they did, which doesn't happen at, at, at much in history, is there's indigestion, right? So we like whoa, yesterday it was three and now it's seven. I'm not touching that with a twenty foot pole. But I grew up in the bond market, and I'll I'll talk about it from the the, the buy side. So we would talk to uh, like mostly banks who would buy municipal bonds, and they they would they would call us up and they say, "I'm not touching anything that's that's under a six. Like I will only buy a six percent muni." And then rates go to five ninety five, five ninety four, five ninety three, and then all of a sudden everybody goes, "Okay, okay, five and a half. Okay, okay, five. Okay, okay, four and a half. And then they they convince themselves all the way down. And I think this is going to happen. Eventually, your indigestion goes away. And and people now look at six and a half, and they're like, well, that's not so bad. And so I do think that's happening. But the only problem is, at the same time, the money supply is going down. And and we have, I mean, it's for the first time since the Great Depression. So we could talk about individuals and how they interact with the market and why they make certain decisions. But in the end, the macro economy with the money supply going down with the COVID stimulus now all absorbed and gone, I don't see how we avoid a recession no matter how people make decisions. And Greg's absolutely right. Do not sign a mortgage that you aren't comfortable with that payment. That's what I would say. I'm not would never say buy a house based on my forecast. Um, buy it based on the existing evidence today and the numbers. Yeah, all that's happening. 
people are over their indigestion. They're now looking at these rates. They're thinking that if they do get to refi, that'll make things better. And so all these things are happening, but it's still not. We came up off the COVID bottom, but we haven't gone to new highs. I mean, you know, we're, we're you know, we, we it, it's not the, the recovery is just a recovery from the COVID hole, not a, a, a new super economic growth period. I, I that's why I'm I'm kind of negative on just about all parts of the economy. I think everything's going to slow down in 2024. If we look at different regions uh, around the United States, and I guess we could break it up into multifamily and single family, where are there going to be the bright spots for building? And where are the spots going to be where where it won't be so bright? I mean, to me, that's, that's an easy answer. I know I'm going to throw politics in here a little bit, but Red states. Oh, oh no. Oh no. Oh yeah. God forbid. I mean, we might offend somebody. Yeah. We're already exactly. seeing that, Brian. What you just said. I know a lot of people are gonna miss that little last bit that you put in there because we started chatting. Yep. But I just read an article about that. They're they're already seeing a, a movement of wealth from from blue states to red states, and yep. therefore red states are just doing better financially. And here's a great example of that. And without without politics, let's not put any politics into this because we people are people are thin skinned little lizard people out there. So let's not do that. Uh, but Jeff Bezos lives in Florida now. Yep. He does not live in Washington. He does not live in Seattle, Tacoma area anymore. He's not fifty one percent of the time, right? He's yeah. not paying the the income tax or the or the sales Did tax. Move there? Any of that stuff that he would have been paying. And now he he sold eight and a half billion dollars worth of stock in the last nine days. Yep. And he's not paying any income tax on that in Florida. And that saved him about a billion dollars. Right. So. Yep. yep. And that's it. It's it's these it's the red states that are going to boom. I mean, um, Chicago had its worst uh, existing and new home sales in 11 and 12 years. If, if you look at the city proper or the metro area, it's a nine county metro area. 11 years like it's it's ugly there and uh 300,000 out migration in, in the last decade uh, out of the Chicago area and so and who I mean I, I was just in Naples I mean you the prices it's like what what has happened in the last two or three years and it's just it's out it's booming and um and the same is with true with Texas and and a lot of uh, the other uh, states as well. People are leaving Colorado now, um, where I've moved. That we got a better tax environment than Illinois, but they're finding ways to mess that up too. And so that's where that's who's going to win, Ash. It's like it's it's pretty clear to me, and and Matt said it very well. Well, Colorado's changed a lot just in my career because I've yep. been still in Denver since 1994. And I've traveled to Colorado many, many times. I have a lot of friends there, and I love Colorado. To me, Colorado is very similar to Oregon, just doesn't have the ocean. But there's a lot of people that have like-minded attitudes towards the outdoors and skiing and the mountains that that you see here in Oregon. So there's a lot of uh, parallel mindsets in, in, in the two states. When I was younger... We used You're to joke young, about that. Yeah, when I was in my 20s, we joked. I joked with the Colorado customers that... Uh, they didn't want to import our politics from Oregon because Oregon's always been a little, little bit wacky, a little bit. They say keep Portland weird for a reason, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. 
But Colorado was a red state back then. You know, it was a firm red state. It wasn't even a purple state. It was a it was a red state like Utah. Yep. And so now look at it. It's a it's a dark blue state here in the last twenty years, and yep. um, I find it fascinating, honestly, because I mean, I, it's just an interesting study in the migration of people, really. It, yeah. And um, and it can have positive impacts, and, and it can have negative impacts on your politics and your policies. Right. So it'll be it'll be interesting to see what happens with Colorado. I'm a big fan. I say this as a huge fan of the state of Colorado. It's a beautiful place, beautiful people. You know, I I hope that uh, they can figure it all out before people leave there too, right? Because yeah. it's happening in Oregon. People are leaving Oregon right now. Yeah, people are leaving um, the. You know, I have a place up in the where my John Deere tractor is um, up uh, up in the mountains near a little town called Kremling. And that's cowboy country and, and, you know, fishing guide country and hunter country and, and people, people there, they're looking at Montana with, you know, the grass is greener on the other side. Um, They're really looking at, but you uh, brought up, I'm going to throw another topic in here. um, And that is, and you just made me think of it because I moved to Denver and I'm used to living in the suburbs of Chicago. I lived in Chicago for 35 years. Moved to in I'm in the city proper of Denver on the south side. There's more dogs than babies. And um and that brings up another headwind for the housing market, I think, is is population growth. I mean, we are we're I think we're below replacement rate right now. If it weren't for immigration, we we would you know, we would be on the path toward a declining population at some point. And we made up for it this last year with uh, all-time record high uh, (laughs) net population uh, through immigration. Yep, Uh, exactly. We're we're, we're overcompensating. Yeah, well, that's where we, that's why we need smaller houses too, because like people that are coming in are not engineers and, uh, coders and uh, lumber lumber uh, lumber transporters or salespeople. Well, speaking so, of that, Brian, you put out that post on the Great Compression, mm-hmm. uh, and I mean, you, you, there was a picture on that that showed one of those tiny, a, a tiny home. It was, you know, one of those five hundred square foot homes. But yeah, what do we you, have, do you want? Does, uh, does uh, your wife watch that show, Ashley? Tiny houses, because uh, <laughs> my wife, I'll, I'll see her watching that, and I'm going like. What are you watching? <laughs> no, my, my wife watches the. Greg, you got like six kids, man. You can't have a tiny home, okay? Yeah. <laughs> like, why are you watching? Why are you watching tiny? I go, hey, I love the idea. Can we get into one of those? But I, I look. I saw a chart the other day, and it showed the square footage of houses decreasing over the past twenty years, and sig- yep. significantly so in the last few years. And, and people we talked to in Texas and Florida and other places, um, we're even seeing it in product. Uh, you yep. know, there's some nine foot studs or eight foot studs are becoming more popular because people are trying to cut corners and make square footage smaller or take out pantries or whatever, whatever they can do, right. To make it a little bit, a little bit more inexpensive. Yep. And what they're doing is they're, they're shrinking the home size. Now I'm, I'm not going to go full out to say we're going to be eating bugs in the future, but I mean, <laughs> there is a noticeable, what, what are you seeing in that trend and how far does it go? Yeah, you know, I mean, I I tell the story. I go to Europe at least twice a year, um, and travel all around. Every time I go to Spain, Italy, and France for the, for for these those three are really, you can see, just see it. The cars, 
just keep getting smaller and smaller and smaller. I mean, you can fit like three of those things in an F-150 now. And I know it's, you know, in the, in the high-end society, it's not true, but, but we know there's immigrant communities in all of these countries that have four families living in a house. I mean, in other words, you know, it's like the, the compression of people in square footage has happened. And the reason that's happened in Europe so much, I believe, is because their government is too big and it's squeezing out the private sector and the ability of, of, the, of growth to lift living standards. And, and now if you take federal government spending plus state and local, it's 45% of GDP. And then we economists, we also like to add in the other costs of government, which would be regulation and the cost of complying with all the tax laws and all of that. And that's about 7% of GDP. So our government is bigger than half of, of GDP, 52% of GDP, which means every dollar AI produces only $48 uh, of that or 48 cents of that makes it back into the private sector. The other 52 cents goes into the government. And if they're going to build windmills instead of um, allow fracking, and they're going to subsidize um, all these uh, low productivity areas versus the high productivity areas, that slows down growth and slows down living standards. If you redistribute money from people that are productive to people that are unproductive, for example, in New York City, they're not going to give $10,000 debit cards to all the immigrants uh, that have been bused there. And, um, and that's unproductive resources. So, so then what happens is living standards and wages don't rise. People have to buy less square footage, eight foot tall rooms instead of nine foot tall rooms. I didn't, that's a great stat, um, Ash, and, or a great thing to think about. Um, and smaller cars and all, and, and so it's not surprising to me to see a New York Times story about people building 500 square foot homes to live in. And what they'll call themselves is minimalists. You know, I'm a minimalist and they'll, they'll be proud of it. But in reality, it's, it's a sign of lower standards of living. And then to go back, I said this already, but if you look at, um, you know, the median price of a new home, it keep, I mean, it's plummeted, even though the average price per square foot has continued to, to uh, rise and stay high because of previous money printing and inflation. So you, you got to be careful because we're just building smaller homes. Uh, it, the price of homes is not coming down. The price per square foot is, is permanently higher because of what we, all the money we printed during COVID. You know, right. somebody, uh, somebody said something to me where they went, you know, uh, I heard that, uh, you know, inflation was down, but like, I don't see, you know, the prices aren't coming down. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and no, 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 no. The rate of increase is lower, but right. prices are not coming down anytime soon. I yeah, think the, the government sure. likes to, to obfuscate a little bit, you know, and, and make things opaque rather than just explain things as they really are. So they talk about inflation is going down. All they're talking about is the rise in prices, the rate of the rise is actually going down, but the rise right. is still there. Yep. Okay, so that leads me on to the next thing. I, I noticed, Brian, on your X page that you had a post about uh, Argentina. Mm -hmm. and, um, and Was that the one that the Elon Musk picture? 
I, 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 I want you. To, I want you to contrast what you said about Argentina on your X on your X page with the reality that you are we're talking about here for the last twenty five minutes in the United States, where we're we're probably going to need a recession if people want a relief in home prices or the relief in food prices or or energy prices or some of these things. The only way you're going to get that is deflation, correct? I mean, you're. Yeah. You, Either that or, or and then the cost of living has gotten so high, it's creating a vicious loop here where people need to make more money to, to go buy those groceries and pay for their right. fuel. So now this $15 minimum wage seems like it's too cheap all of a sudden, whereas five years ago, we all would have laughed at $15 minimum wages. Right. That was before you had to go pay five bucks for a gallon of milk. So yeah. what are your thoughts on these two contrasting things? And I'm kind of curious how you feel. F- about five gallons for a half a gallon of milk, Matt, if it's organic. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. we don't live in your stratosphere, Ashley. We still buy the dirt gold, okay? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, this is a, a, I mean, this is a great question, like great set of thoughts. Let me let me just kind of do a quick 30,000-foot flyby, if you will. When gover- we printed way too much money. Governments do that all the time. In Argentina, they did it. They got hyperinflation, you know, hundreds and hundreds of percent inflation every year. We only got up to eight or nine, but we've ha- haven't had inflation for 40 years, so it felt it was it's awful. But this is all that whole process. The government prints too much money, then they they grow themselves and create programs and borrow money and increase the debt, which increases the cost of government, and all of this squeezes living standards. And then and so the way you get by today is you buy a smaller house, a smaller car, um, you know, uh, ride a motorcycle or a moped. Um, so you use less gas, you use less energy to heat your home, you live in a smaller home, so you pay a month, lower monthly payment. And that's that's the way all these living standards go down. And then eventually, and it's true throughout history, there is there is no progressive country in the world that has been successful. And I would put progressive just before socialist and communist because that's what they're trying to do. But what happens then is you get higher inflation and lower growth, which Argentina had. And what it takes is a revolt of the voters or a politician to come along like Javier Millet in Argentina or Ronald Reagan in the United States to change the direction of that country, shrink the government, fix the Fed, fixed the central bank in Argentina. He wants to cancel it all. He wants to dollarize the, the economy. But that's what we need. And otherwise, we're in this downward spiral. And what's, you know, every place I, I travel all the time, like 200 plus thousand miles a year, speaking towns all over. Then I like to read the local papers when I'm uh, running around. And Every single local paper I've I've seen, by the way, Greg, especially the ones in Hawaii, are talking about affordable housing. How are we going to make affordable housing? And I just read a story about the the ski areas in um, uh, in Colorado, uh, Crested Butte and Telluride. They can't get doctors and nurses and um, and, and people to come work there because they're priced out of the market. And so it's all this, but this happens everywhere. It's happening in New York City. It's happening in Chicago. It's happening in Denver with the homeless on the streets, all this stuff. And they blame homeless, um, um, afford, we don't, a lack of affordable housing. But the reason we don't have it 
is because the government's so big. So we need a Javier Millet in the United States, somebody that comes in and takes a hatchet to the bureaucracy, to the size of government, because it this isn't working. It's it's going the opposite way, um, not not it, 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 the opposite way of what they promise every time they put a new program in. Brian, if you if you Brian, listen to what Mike like any of the uh, candidates, uh, for, I, doesn't look like the situation here is dire enough for uh, that to happen right now, based on the candidates that we have. Hey, so Brian. We do, uh, Ash, is it okay to segue right now? Yeah, I just had I, um, one question I had for Brian, a couple of them. So all of this that we have said, I mean, one of the bright spots, I mean, there's been a lot of bright spots, obviously, in the stock market. Home builder stocks have been just on a tear for for the yep. last few years. Yeah, um, at all-time highs. You know, retail lumber yards that are public are the same way. One thing Greg and I notice as traders Every month that we put wood on the ground, it's more expensive to keep commodities on the ground and uh, and less and less. It seems like retailers and all that are uh, having us carry that inventory on the ground, which makes sense. Right. That's. Yeah. Uh, so what do you see for home builders in the rest of this this year and for big retail yards and trust plants and traders? What What are the things that we should keep an eye out for? that we, you know, some of those unknown unknowns we might not see coming, right? Right. Yeah, I mean, I I do think, I mean, as I said, we're going to have a recession. That's going to make it tough. You know, it's interesting that everywhere there's just in time, everybody tries to push the inventory cost uh, down the pipeline. Um, and I I feel like we're kind of at the end, in, unless, you can, unless you can figure out how to have robots build houses, um, we're kind of at the end of being able to squeeze out those costs. My example is, you you know, I, like I said, I travel all the time. You, you can't get a bar of soap in hotels anymore. It's all, you, you go into the shower and it's got three pumps, body wash, yeah, yeah. shampoo, and conditioner. There's no bar of soap. Like you, right. And they don't even have a bar of soap at the sink to wash your hands. And so, I mean, it... And these are even some of the high end hotels have gone this way or they're down to one little bar, you know, and no like one in the tub or whatever. Well, um, Abandoned Dunes does. I, I got one there at Abandoned Dunes in January. So it's well, still good. You need to go there and play some golf, Brian. Yeah, it was probably Irish Spring, too. It's like, <laughs> no, it's the good stuff. It's that French stuff. It smells good. <laughs> right. But I, I, I love Abandoned Dunes. Oh, yeah. my gosh. What a, what a, you know, the best part about the showers there is they have the mirror in the shower. <laughs> hey, don't give away my secrets. Yeah, on the wall. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, but yeah, you know, I, in other words, I feel like, you, you know, you're putting the cost of inventory back on, on the, the dealers, the suppliers, the, 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 uh, the, the, uh, the transportation companies, all of that. They, we've done that for years with just-in-time inventory, you know, just storing all the, you know, the Apple iPhones in some, like, in some warehouse. And that now takes the risk, and Apple doesn't, you know. And whether that's Verizon or and they're trying to push it back even too, and I I feel like we've done all of that, and the way forward is, you know, is with technology. So maybe AI helps us build you know neighborhoods cheaper, 
maybe we use more robots and I, who knows? I don't even know all the things that are going on in the home building industry, but they, they figured out how to cut costs and increase margins. And that why, that's why their stocks are up. Part of their cutting costs is letting us hold the inventory for them. Right. Yeah. So they're saving, you know, millions of dollars on, on interest. Uh, yeah every month by not having to hold on to the inventory. So yeah. yeah. The reason I asked that question was we have people we sell to that used to buy 80% rail car and 20% truck that have done the complete opposite. And what they're doing is forcing distributors to put wood all around them. So then they can pick and choose when they want it. And this is a trend everywhere. Right. right. And Part of me really likes it too because it uh, it gives us the opportunity to put wood on the ground and 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 do what we do real well, right? You know the bad side of that, uh, Ash is, and I've seen this because I've been doing it for a long time. I've been putting wood on the ground for a long time. You're going to get a washout at some point. What'll happen is people will become complacent. They'll let their inventory grow, and then we'll have a hundred dollar, hundred fifty dollar sell off, and guys will go broke. And then their companies will say, well, we're not going to do this anymore. And yeah. so you'll see, you know, the aftermath of that, the next year will be, there'll be half as many people carrying half as much inventory for those same guys that need it. And it'll flip back to a different type of market. But right now that strategy of letting us carry the inventory for them and us making a small margin for the, for the, for the favor is, is, is working. It's working for all parties at the moment, as long as the market stays stable and which it has for, for the most part, we're a pretty predictable lumber market at this point for the last two years. So uh, I was going to let Greg jump in. Now I know two weeks ago or three weeks ago, Greg gave Matt, Matt gave you uh, just a screaming endorsement about how good you've been on the market. And I want to do the same for Greg, especially since I challenged him on something a week ago and he said, Hey, uh, Ashley, I've done this for a long time. So I just basically, <laughs> I basically I just shut up about it. it. He is old. And he was right. So you do Mary day dump right now. So, so yeah, sure, yeah. I wanted you just to Greg, you, you've been pretty good on calling a bunch of these items out the last probably over 60 days. And if people would have listened, I thought you were going to say 60 years. Well, <laughs> I would say, that too, <laughs> that too. But the, for the last 60 days, I think, you know, we're not always right about stuff, but I would say we are quite a bit. <laughs> and um, if people would listen so to the Ryan, last what 60 we do days. is uh, we like we do a segment where, you know, we talk about different lumber items and we do it under like merry date dump things that we're like really we, we really want to get hitched with for a long time date. We're just kind of casual. You know, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? Uh, uh -huh. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and dump, I mean, you know, Ashley uh, used to say break up, but no, we go dump. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, uh, a couple, a couple things, just, you know, overall market, um, Eastern spruce, Euro spruce continues to be, like grinding, I, I call it a grinding higher market. It just can, it kind of keeps going. I think the supply demand imbalance in the marketplace is favoring the producers. And, you know, as we know, we've been operating below the cost of break even for a lot of regions for a long time. So, you know, we've talked about it. There's quiet quitting going on. We get announcements of permanent curtailment. Uh, and, and, and I still don't think the prices, the prices aren't, are probably high enough to like prevent like a lot more of that happening. 
but they're not high enough um, to bring any production back. So we'll have to really watch that supply, supply demand equilibrium. We are in seasonal strength, you know, really kind of until, um, until early April. First quarter production has been better than usual because of weather. We've had no transportation issues. Historically, production increases in the second quarter. That's going to be a question mark whether that's going to happen or not. So that's where the dynamic's really going to change. Married date dump. I've been married to two by four nines. They're up probably 50 to $75 a thousand in the last 30 days. I talked a couple of weeks ago that I really should be married to two by six nines. And one of the things that happens is when you identify a really good trade, if it's really, really good, you can't get much of it on before it runs away from you. And that's what's happened to me on two by six nines. I'm eyeballing something that I want to date. I want to have a little, I, want, I think I want to have a relationship with, but I'm going to keep it close to my vest because I don't want anybody coming in and, <laughs> and, and scooping it up on me. Dumping, you know what? I'm still, I've been saying this for a while. I'm not dumping anything. Um, I like the overall market and, you know, so I'm, I'm friendly across the board. So there you go, Ash. All right, I'll I'll jump in. So um, I hope I don't I hope I don't want to marry the one that you didn't want to disclose here, Greg. But I'm I'm uh, I want to marry two by four MSR. Ooh. Uh, okay. You know its basis is great. It's now a fifty dollar basis, which is I don't want to say as wide as it gets, but it's pretty good. It's trading at the same price at number two. So it leads me in to, to, to want to do that, to use that. Uh, date, two by four, 104 and 5A studs and 92 and 5A studs. Um, the shorter studs I like because they have a lot more liquidity. And as we talked about the smaller houses, I think that trend's going to continue. And dump, I'm going to dump two by four 16s. The reason being, I've noticed a lot more of those coming over on vessels because it seems to me the Europeans like to produce stuff that they're getting a big return on. They like producing overvalued items and not producing enough undervalued items. And I'm starting to see more 16 slosh around. And one thing that's on my radar now, now dumping them, it's, it's going to be one of those where I still, you know, take, take them out to the olive garden every now and then and kind of like keep a string on it because, uh, you know, there's nothing. It's not a hard, it's not a hard one. It's, it's not a hard one. Um, but one thing that I think to keep on the radar, I've heard a couple people have told me now that some of these home builders looking to cut costs, a lot of these big iJoyce and LVL producers have combined and are really, you know, raising prices for floor joists and roof joists or, you know, kind of control things. And it, I'm looking at wides lumber in just dimensional species because if some of these home builders want to start cutting costs, I see them getting out of this engineered in some cases and getting back into some actual wides where there's a significant cost uh, cutting possibility. And I've heard some of them talking about doing that. So we'll just keep that on the radar. If that happens, there's a real limited capacity for production, right? So yeah. You know, it's just the way mills have evolved in the last 25, 30 years. Um, so my Mary date dump. Let's let's on the Mary side, since you guys are so bullish on the eights and nines, which we've been talking about for a month now, um, I'll take the tens. I oh. think when when nines run up 50 or 75 bucks and tens are lagging behind, I'll buy some tens and I'll put them into cold storage for 30 or 60 days and 
see what happens. So I, I would I would be a buyer and a holder on two before one sixteen and five eighths, any species. Um and same thing on tuba six. Tuba six, you can even see the discount even more over here in the West. I can't speak for the East, but in tuba six one sixteens are much cheaper in Western species than 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 they should be. So I'm I like that trade. I would buy and hold there. Things that I would date, um well just point out as an observation only, and I, I don't really, I'm not going to go invest in this, but I'm just making this observation for people that, that do. Two by four and two by six, two and better spruce is the cheapest plate stock on planet earth other than yellow pine. So I would target spruce two by four and two by six, yellow pine two by four and two by six, two and better in relation to on a delivered Midwest basis, it's cheaper than every other species. Coastal hemlock is more expensive uh, inland white fur is more expensive. All the dry dug fur, you know, U.S. and Canadian is more expensive than spruce or yellow pine plate two and better right now. So that's something I'm dater. Dumping, and this is completely weather related. I'm dumping green dug fur lumber just because the West Coast is saturated with rain. We've been getting, you know, hammered with the Pineapple Express and in the big consuming regions and California and, and Vegas and Phoenix have, have had to deal with the deluge of water. And so that has slowed the flow of lumber from our mills on green dug fir narrows to, to those consuming regions. And so if you have it, you're, you're going to dump it. You know, that's, that's a, that's a temporary dump at the moment. And, uh, and we're in the middle of that at the moment. Hey, Brian, we, 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 you know, it's been awesome having you on um, just, you know, like a little quick, I mean, Northwestern basketball. Uh, you know, we're gonna make the tournament. Um, yeah. What do you think? I mean, you know, boo booey, huh? Yeah, boo booey. Yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty awesome to see Northwestern uh, achieve in sports. I'm still mad at them for firing their uh, Pat Fitzgerald, their football coach. But uh, I just want Ash to know he had me at Olive Garden. Um, <laughs> and, 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 and endless salad, baby. And <laughs> Yeah. Um, hey Brian, thanks so much for being on today, man. You like as as always. I mean, it's like it's you know, it was great to great to see you recently. I mean, I know you uh you 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 left me and had a tough weekend there in Vegas. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that was a good week. Honolulu. What a great what a great, what a great game, Super Bowl, huh? It, I mean, it was. It was. I picked a good one to go to. Hey, so. just Brian, before we go, how can people follow you? And what's the best way for them to follow you? Yeah, so uh, you you mentioned Twitter. Uh, and there is no T in my last name. So it's Westbury, just at Westbury. And then um, my company, First Trust, uh, the easiest way to get to my stuff is F as in Frank, T as in Thomas, P as in Peter, L as in Larry, P as in Peter, FTPLP.com. So first trust portfolios, uh, limited partnership um, is what it all stands for. Uh, FTPLP. And you can sign up for my newsletter for free. And we will not market to you uh, one bit. That's yeah, awesome. I know they put out like I get like basically every economic stat that comes out, you know, they dig, do a deep dive on it and give the analysis, which is which is awesome because, you know, a lot of that stuff, you know, goes over my head until I like get the detail. Thanks, Greg. Great. Brian, thank you so much. Matt, Greg, we'll, uh, we'll look forward to doing this again next week. All right. Thanks well, great guys. To, great to be with all of you. All right, guys. See you guys. See you, Brian. Thank you. Thank you. 
Thanks for listening to this week's episode of The Lumber Word. The Lumber Word podcast is dedicated to engaging conversations about the lumber industry, including trading ideas, market trends, and evaluations of overvalued and undervalued assets. We wish to emphasize that the discussions and opinions expressed in this podcast are purely for informational and entertainment purposes. They should not be considered as financial or investment advice. We encourage our listeners to make their own financial decisions, taking into account their unique circumstances and financial goals, and to seek professional financial advice if necessary.